Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor, Eric Sandler. Before I introduce my co-host this week, I want to try something new in upcoming episodes. I want to take questions from our loyal listening audience, and we will answer them on the show. So if you email me, eric, E-R-I-C, at culturemap.com with your question, and if you want a specific co-host to answer it, we will do that on the show in the coming weeks. So send me your questions. We're eager to hear them. I get DMs on Instagram all the time. Uh, we will give you a shout out and we will kick around your topic. So with that said, I have a new co-host this week. She is the host of the Ate Cooking Show on YouTube. We follow her on Instagram at Isabelissima. Isabel Proto-Martir, welcome to the show. How are you? Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Feeling pretty good for, for this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for doing this. Before we dive into the news of the week, do you want to just talk about Ate real quick? Yeah. Okay. So Ate means big sister in Tagalog. So I'm Filipino. Um, and it's just a show that I get to teach some of my favorite Filipino and uh, Asian American recipes. I get to talk about myself and my family. And it's a lot of fun. I feel very grateful to, to get to be a part of this project. Yeah, I will say I've watched them uh, oh my almost <laughs> almost all the episodes. They're, I mean, you you have this warm personality, and oh, the production great. the production quality is really good. They're they're pretty compelling. Yeah, thank you. It, and that's the goal is I want every I don't want anyone to be intimidated by Filipino food or Asian food that they're not familiar with or are curious about. So warm and inviting is is what I'm going for. So I appreciate it. All right. Well, let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. I put together a fall restaurant preview with over 40 different bars and restaurants that are going to open between now and the end of the year. Quite a list. <laughs> Thank you. Isabel, let me just ask you what you, you've, you've read the article, you've looked at the list. What are maybe one or two of the, the places you're the most excited about? Ooh, okay. So I have to be honest. I do have a client on the list. I do PR and social media um, in Houston for some really cool restaurants. So Looking forward to seeing what Aaron and Brandy do with Daily Gather, but I have to say late August, I've been looking forward to it for so long. Um, one of my favorite things is just like the parallels and connections between food and culture. So Asian, Afro-Asian, I don't know what could happen there. Um, so I'm excited to see what Chef Don, what story she tells with that food. Yeah, and just for people who either haven't heard Don's interview on the show or haven't read the article yet. Late August is the new restaurant that Don Burrell is opening in the Ion, which is the new mixed use development in Midtown. And, uh, you know, she was on Top Chef and now she's partnered with. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, she, she's, she's one of, you know, she, she wasn't just on, she made it to the finals of Top Chef, yeah. which means that Padman never tells her to pack her knives because at the, in the finale, the person wins and they say, you are Top Chef. So the other two people, the two other finalists, they don't they don't tell them to leave. So oh, not many people can say that. Not many people can say that. Uh, Don Burrell is one of them. And yeah, so late August is going to be they call it Afro-Asian. And she's talked about that they're going to kind of use, you know, there's common ingredients across some of these different cuisines. And of course, she's very well qualified. She worked at Uchi for a long time. You know, she knows these techniques. 
And I so. think just the, being able to tell the story of the people, the migration, even some of the ickier stuff like colonization, I'm just excited to see what comes of it. And if, if we can trust someone to tell that story, I think Don's, Don's our gal. <laughs> right. No, I, I, think, I think that's right. And I, I think that given her sort of increased national profile, that this is the like this is the restaurant to watch right like if you're mm-hmm. if you're trying to figure out like who might be on the list for James Beard best new restaurant or or you know in like a food and wine list or a bon appetit list like late august is the one to watch i think yeah i agree and i was a big fan of hers at culture so i mean we know we know she's got it houston's love her houston has her back uh, i think we're all looking forward to this one no, absolutely. And, and you mentioned Daily Gather, which is one of your clients was there. Yes. <laughs> but we, talk, we talked about Daily Gather quite a bit on the yeah. show last week. So is there one other one that you had your eye on? Oh, I mean, Tatemo, of course. Uh, Chef Emmanuel, so talented. And again, just being able to tell a story that maybe some people are not familiar with, you know, and, and he's been able to just you know, you go there for tortillas, you walk away just learning so much. I feel I was able to go to one of his tastings. So I'm excited to see what he's able to accomplish with a bigger space, bigger audience. I mean, he's earned it. He's been, he's been busy. Yeah. You're ahead of me. I, I have a reservation for one of those tastings in a couple of weeks, but I have not experienced it yet. Something to look forward to. Absolutely. And then just a couple for me. I mean, obviously I feel excited about all of them, or I wouldn't have put them in the article, but in particular, uh, Cafe Louis, which is Angelo Emiliani and his sister Luciano. We know him from the Angie's Pizza pop-up. This is their kind of LA style all-day cafe. It's opening in the East End along with Giant Leap Coffee. It's going to be sort of Mediterranean influenced, but, you know, fresh pastries in the morning, different you know, entree options, sandwiches, salads, whatever at, at lunch and dinner, you know. And not having to fight people for pizza reservations. Well, he's not making pizzas, so you're safe <laughs> oh, there. Wait, never mind. No pizza at all. No pizza. Well, now I'm even more intrigued. Yeah, it'll it'll be it's a whole new thing. Right. The man can do more than pizza and and he's gonna show it, I think, at at Cafe Louis. And then obviously Burger Chan, you know, they're they're opening in our office building here uh, near the Galleria. So very excited about, about that potential and, and kind of how that all shakes out. And of course, Loro. I mean, this is the Asian Smokehouse uh, from the owners of Uchi. They partnered with Aaron Franklin of Franklin Barbecue. This has been a huge hit in Austin. It opened in Dallas earlier. It's been a huge hit in Dallas. It's coming to a former church on 11th Street in the Heights. And I think it's just going to take over. I, I just, I, all those Heights people, you know, all those young families, they're going to be lining up for fried chicken sandwiches and the burger and the sweet corn fritters. I even had a friend of mine who's a, a vegan message me and is like, I go there every time I'm in Austin because they have great choices for me, wow. which I, I wouldn't have even thought about that. It's a, it's nominally a, you know, a, not a barbecue restaurant, but a barbecue influenced restaurant, but with great vegetarian and vegan options. So. Hey, that says something. I, you know, I have a friend who's pescatarian and we dine out a lot together. So we tend to stay on like the vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian part of the menu. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it too. Absolutely. And then, you know, I, I kind of tease this. I, 
I've been sort of interested in the social media reaction to this. Most people are very excited. Uh, a few people are like, oh, well, you know, some of them aren't going to survive or it's too many or I can't keep up or all that. It's like, look, first of all, it's not your job to keep up. I mean, yeah. it is it is sort of my job to keep up, but yeah, it's I'm not, <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody says that as a regular diner, you have to try all of these places in any sort of timeline. And you know, we'll see how they do. You know, there's there's an Italian restaurant called Il Bracco that's opening at the corner of San Felipe and Post Oak, right across the street from North. Now, Ooh. North is super popular and super busy. So is there like pent up demand for Italian food near the Galleria? Or are they not going to break through because people love North so much? Like, I don't know, but it's not my money. Like, I didn't make the investment. They're intelligent people they they understand what their the market conditions are and i think you know all you can say is go and try it exactly and see how they do and you know they'll succeed or fail on their own merits but but i always get tired if you were like we have too many steakhouses we have too many burgers we have too many it's like that's not how capitalism works right as long as <laughs> as long as it's More good conversation yeah <laughs> i you know i mean I it's just, a scary time to to open a restaurant, but I, I think people are ready to get back out there. They're excited for experiences. I mean, this, this might be the time as scary as it is. So I'm rooting for them. No, I, I think that's right. I think, you know, my experience going to restaurants is that places are busy, especially on the weekends. Reservations are much harder to book right now. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody, almost nobody has enough staff. So people want to be out and these businesses are going to cater to that and we'll see how they do. Yeah, to be continued. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Topic number two, Casa Nomad, a Tulum-inspired patio bar from the owners of Wicklow Heights, opens this week at MKT, which is the big development on Shepherd just north of I-10. Isabel, let me throw it to you. What do you think? It's a 28-seat it's patio bar serving coastal Mexican cuisine. Does this seem like a good fit for the Heights and MKT? I think it's a good fit for the area. I've been to Wicklow Heights. I think it's fun. It's a fun bar. Um, but what I'm curious to see what they know about coastal Mexican cuisine, you know, um, who are they bringing in? What are they inspired by? I mean, Tulum is an absolute destination, obviously, and not many, not everyone is traveling. A lot of people are traveling, but not everyone. Um, so it's, I think it's cool to like have that option that experience nearby but it i think it i'd like to see what they can bring to the table as far as authenticity goes yeah i think that's always it right and i think the other thing is you're right tulum is a really popular destination people have been there they're going to have like really firm ideas about what a restaurant from tulum should be like and you know i haven't i haven't been to casa nomad yet they haven't they haven't, uh, they've done some kind of invite only preview stuff, but it's, it, it hasn't really opened to the public yet. So, you know, we'll see, right? Like, can they capture that vibe? Does the food really remind people of coastal Mexico? You know, that's all kind of TBA. I, I will say I've seen some pictures of the interior and it is gorgeous. Really? So, if anything, it's going to be a great Instagram moment. I mean, people love that, I have to say. So... <laughs> Yeah, that's your whole deal, right? Social media. This is this yeah. Wicklow Heights has that down, and they, you know, they've got the audience. They take cute pictures on the patio. So, 
I mean, they've got that going for them, <laughs> but I hope the food and the drinks can hold a candle to that too. I mean, for me, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, right. Obviously, you know, it can look as pretty as you want, but if the food and drinks don't, don't match up. So yeah, it, it's kind of a, we'll see, but I, I do feel like, you know, there's Homestead and Dagama and those are like very much restaurant. And so this, and then there's another one called Highline Park. That's sort of a sister concept to Casa Nomad. Like that's going to be more nightlife-y. It just kind of rounds out that development with some kind of later, more evening type destinations. Well, they're trying to get people to come and then stay the whole night, it seems. Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, you can have breakfast at, you can have breakfast at Homestead, lunch at Rockin' Ramen, dinner at Dagama, and drinks at Casa Nomad or Highline Park. You, you never really have to leave. Yeah, you don't have to go home at all. They've got a crawl in mind. Crawls are really big. So, I mean, that, I think that's what they're going for. Absolutely. All right. And then let us move on to topic number three. Bon Appetit magazine has recognized Lucille's and their nonprofit Lucille's 1913 with one of their Heads of the Table Awards given to places who, in their words, helped their communities and others in the industry who needed it most during the pandemic. Isabel, let me just let me let me just ask you, what do you think about Lucille's getting this kind of national recognition? I'm, I'm here for it. I'm a big fan of Lucille's. I'm a big fan of the restaurant group and their team. Um, I love that they're not afraid to ruffle feathers, you know, and stand up for what they believe in. And I think that's what they're being recognized for on top of their incredible food, of course. Um, I think, you know, a lot of restaurants feel like they need to play it safe. And I, I respect that. I do. But um, I, I love that they use their power and influence for good and that they're being recognized for that. Yeah, no, I, the, I think the article was really thorough. You know, the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit, Don Davis, interviewed Chris Williams, the founder of Lucille's, the owner of Lucille's, about kind of all of the things that they had done. And it's like, even though I kind of lived them and watched them do all that, it, mm-hmm. to see it all summed up in one place, right? They started this nonprofit. You know, they did the, the pop-ups on the Lucille's patio for unemployed bartenders because you know, bar stayed shut down for a lot longer than restaurants. They, you know, he fed uh, George Floyd's family when they met with Joe Biden. It, yeah, they're, you know, what they're doing with um, food waste and stuff right now, I think is really righteous. Um, and, you know, pickling and fermenting, I think that program is amazing and it's available to the public. And um, I think it's something that people are ready to learn about. So I'm glad someone in Houston's talking about it. No, absolutely. And then just from your perspective on the PR side of things, I mean, what do you, what happens when a restaurant gets this kind of national recognition? I, I obviously I'm for any kind of recognition because Houston deserves it. <laughs> I think Houston is, um, has a, a story to tell that's different than other restaurant cities. I think there are great restaurants around the nation, but Houston has like a specific type of grit and authenticity that, that, I mean, we're, we need to showcase that we're amazing. People need to know and they need to know why (laughs) Um, I'm excited for the restaurants. It's obviously going to be a big publicity thing. There's going to be people knocking on their doors, ready to make reservations. So good for them. They've, they've worked hard. They've, they deserve it. Um, But yeah, I am team Houston as are you. So I think this is great. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. And I think that's well said. So, uh, so 
let me just move on. Um, topic number four, you and some of your friends are hosting a pop-up this weekend called Have a Nice Day. We are. Tell the people about the Have a Nice Day pop-up. When, yeah, when is it taking me. place? Where is it happening? Who's coming? All that stuff. So it is going to be this coming Sunday, um, September 26th at Sandman Studios from 12 to 3 p.m. It's like a Sunday fun day kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's our second installment. It, the initial event came to be because um, of the anti-Asian sentiments and Asian hate that were happening a few months ago. I mean, still happening. And we just felt like we needed to do something, you know, so we rounded up some of our friends and wanted to offer a way to the community to celebrate AAPI businesses and causes and artists. And it's supposed to be a one-time thing, <laughs> you know? Um, but it just, it was amazing. I mean, all of our vendors sold out. It was such a huge turnout. The community was excited to celebrate and learn. Um, so now we're doing another one. <laughs> so it's much bigger. We're, we're going from like six vendors to 20, around 20. A uh, much bigger location. We're excited to work with Sandman Studios. Um, and we've just got some really great vendors lined up. Um, yeah, I know uh, I know uh, Abbas Delani's uh, yes. uh, Burger Bodega pop-up is going to be there. Give us like two more and then we'll... Yeah, uh, Pudgy's Fine Cookies is going to be there. I'm, I'm a huge fan of theirs. I mean, they just do these like massive honkers of cookies like loaded to the brim they're amazing um aling nina's is is some is a business that i hold near and dear they um nina canete is doing um, like filipino inspired just like super creative pastries um super nostalgic to me and i just love how excited people are to to learn about that so it's fun to be able to give these vendors a, another platform to be able to serve the community and this time we're benefiting um, Relief Gang, their local organization that's like been there since Hurricane Harvey, really show up during national, natural disasters for Houston and Louisiana. So we're excited, excited to be able to, to help them out a little too. Awesome. All right. Well, Isabel, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Isabel, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Heidi Lao. This is the Chinese hot pot restaurant that recently opened in Katy. Uh, LA, the, uh, Jonathan Gold, the LA Times food critic, once called it the Ferrari of hot pot restaurants <laughs> because it's, it's pretty fancy. So, Isabel, let me, let me throw it to you. Do you, do you, did Heidi Lau live up to its reputation? Is it the Ferrari of hot pot restaurants? I mean, not, not many hot pot places can say they've got robots uh, driving around, serving you, bringing your food to you. So, I mean, Ferrari is not far off. <laughs> I think that if anything, the shock value is like, you're so enthralled by everything around you that you, you're, it's extra special. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is a, kind of a luxurious take on hot pot they have yeah, for sure we, we didn't order it but they you know if you want miyazaki wagyu you know seven pieces for 70 dollars like they'll you know, thin slices for, for 70 <laughs> bucks like they're there for you uh you mentioned the robots uh you get an apron to wear to keep you know soup drippings off of your clothes 
Yes, I um, I am a I carry tied to go everywhere I go. I'm one of those people. So the apron was uh, definitely appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> and then the noodle dancers. You got to talk right. This guy comes in, hand pulls noodles right in front of you, twirls them all over, almost hits you with them. I mean, they yeah, I've never seen anything <laughs> like that before. And they were delicious. I think the hand pulled noodles were like nicely like chewy. They added a really great. Um, dynamic to the hot pot versus just regular noodles that are thrown in there, but I might have been hypnotized by by the show. So. <laughs> well, that's a good that's a good uh, jumping off point. What else did you like of what we tried? We got a, oh, a seafood platter. We got ribeye. We got lamb. We got some vegetables. I lamb is a must for me at hot pot. I think it just stands up really well. I think it tastes really good, but it was the broths that stood out to me. Um, we both really liked, I think the green pepper, green Sichuan peppercorn broth, which was like a shocking, uh, that, that kind of was like a throwaway one to me. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, that's going to be fine. It was so good. Um, and the tomato broth, super simple, super comforting. I think that one was really one of my favorites too. Yeah, no, the tomato, I mean, I really like the tomato broth, you know, it's, it's like Campbell's in a good way, you know, just that <laughs> like warm kind of roasty tomato flavor. And like a little bit of sweetness, you know, that was, yeah. that was nice for me. Yeah. I mean, and I like the, the kind of the Szechuan kind of mala style spicy mm-hmm. broth too. I think, you know, I think either sweetness or spicy kind of plays well. Like that, that uh, we got the pork broth and that didn't make as much of an impression. Yeah. It was nice though that we got the option to have four of them. So a lot of the times at hot pot, I'll see like one or two maybe, but you could do up to four broth so you can choose as many as I mean choose choose all the ones you have your eye on (laughs) yeah it didn't add that much money to get four Mm -hmm. instead of two and especially because we were four people it it just it's very reason like why wouldn't you get four yeah I I love options (laughs) so it was great and speaking of options the sauces um, it's easy to get intimidated because there are so many sauces at the sauce bar, but it was nice. They give you little cheat recipes. So if you don't know where to start, um, they give you a place to start. Then the sauces are where you like dip your cooked meats and stuff in. Yeah. So like what were a couple of your favorites from the sauce bar? I always have to go for anything tahini based. Oh no, it's not tahini. I was, was corrected. Sesame. Ses, white sesame paste. I was corrected. It's not tahini. <laughs> um, but I love the set, what the sesame brings to the, the meat. It kind of rounds everything out. It's really good. Yeah, and there was like a kind of thicker, like kind of sweet seafood dip that I, I tried with the mussels and scallops that I thought was pretty good. And, and like you said, if you, I mean, you can build your own. They give you soy sauce and chili powder and celery and all these different things. So, you you know, you can really, I mean, for, for condiment people, you can really like build your own and go like way over the top with it. I think this is, I said this to you when we were there is if someone doesn't have a good time or doesn't enjoy themselves at hot pot, it is their own fault (laughs) because it is (laughs) so customizable. I mean, you are in charge of everything. So do some, do some research before you go ask your friends. Right. So let me just, did you dislike anything? Was there anything about it that you wouldn't order again? Um, Not that I disliked it. It just wasn't for me. Uh, We ordered some duck tongue. (laughs) So the the duck tongue was a fun thing to try. I'm always down to try all the things, but um, I'm not into anything that's super cartilagey. So it was a little too cartilagey for me. 
but they've got some interesting options, which is which is nice. Right. I think I saw duck feet uh, in addition to the duck tongue. Anything that's like super chewy, I I I understand that that is very popular, very traditional in different Asian cuisines um, as a you know Western palate. Like that does not really work for me. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, we had a few things. Tell them about the shrimp ball that you. Yeah, no. So we I went with. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so we went with Alex Ah Young, the owner of yes. uh, Fat Eatery, who was our ambassador. He's apparently yeah. he's been to Heidi Lab quite a bit. Showed us the way. <laughs> uh, and what it was, it was like they were like shrimp wrapped in um, like a tofu skin. Yeah, like a tofu, right? And mm-hmm. I just they were like. And they, they sort of boil in the broth for like, you have to leave them for like 10 or 15, 15 minutes, minutes yeah, uh, to cook everything. But you get this like chewy and a good, like, I know I just said, I don't like chewy. This, worked, <laughs> this really worked for me. Different kind of chewy. Different kind of chewy yeah. with the sweet shrimp in the middle. And I just, I really enjoyed that. That was maybe my favorite thing that we tried wow. uh, for the whole menu. I just, I, well, you know, we had you, you don't eat shrimp and Matt Harris, uh, who's a regular guest on this podcast, isn't eating carbs and tofu is high in carbs. So basically it was, they were just, there were like six or eight of them and they were, it was just up to me and Alex to eat them. So yeah, you all did you know, a great job. I, but bring up a good point is that we all had different kind of like requirements and we all left very happy. Yes. It's it. very flexible. Yes. Um, I would say maybe uh, even vegans, vegetarians, I think like you could mm-hmm. just go heavy on the vegetables. It's, yeah. it's obviously oriented towards meat sources, but, but I'm plenty of seafood options for the pescatarians and those fish fillets and those little bay scallops bake really well with the broth. They just soak up all that flavor. Oh, so good. All right. So then the, you know, the ultimate question, do you feel like it was a good value for the money and will you go back? Yes. Already making plans to go back for sure. I think it's important. I call my, I have to call myself out on this sometimes too. It's like Asian food isn't only cheap and easy. You know, I think it has a reputation for being like quick and easy and accessible, which is great, but there is so much out there that's next level and more luxurious and more um, just it's worth, it was totally worth it. So I'm glad we're starting to get places that celebrate this part of Asian cuisine. Yeah. We spent, you know, tax and tip, we spent what, about $130 on this like epic feast. I mean, I, I think you, I don't know that we could have done it much cheaper. I think because we got about the right amount of food, you know, you could have swapped the seafood platter out for, you know, a different kind of protein or, or less or whatever. But, but I was really happy that we got to try so much of it. And, and I do, I agree with you. I feel good about the amount of money we spent. Uh, I thought it was really flavorful. Uh, and then we haven't even talked about the service, but it's very attentive. Yes, absolutely. They even give you little baggies for your, your to protect your phone and your mask. So I don't, I didn't use mine, um, but it was, that was a nice attention to detail. No, absolutely. All right. Any final thoughts about Heidi Lau? I'm just, I'm excited to go back and have a totally different experience. I mean, I feel like hot pot changes every single time you go. So we'll see what happens next. Absolutely. All right, Isabel, thank you very much. Thank you. And I will be right back with Travis Lennick. 
I'm joined this week by the chef owner of Field and Tides. He was on the show for episode six, I think, in 2017. This is episode 209, so probably about time to have you on again. <laughs> Travis Lennig, welcome. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let me just kind of start. You may be tired of talking about this, but it, the, the last time you were on, you were there with a business partner. He's not involved anymore. And I'm not really asking you, I'm, I'm definitely not asking you to say anything bad about anybody, but, but <laughs> what's it been like? What's it been like being the sort of sole proprietor? Uh, and, and maybe when did, when did that happen? And, and what's it been like? So uh, Chico, my former partner, uh, we bought him out, uh, I think April of 19. He, uh, you know, he was a, a great person to start the restaurant with. He had some great ideas and he set up a lot of stuff and taught me a lot of things about the restaurant. So nothing bad to say about him at all. And we left on good terms and, uh, he's got his own venture now, but, uh, you know, it was very, eye-opening and you know it's there was a lot of things that we uh changed once he left uh you know restaurant wise and patio wise and how we did service some of the things th those are things that him and i just we kind of butted heads on but nothing bad like uh you know we just we wanted the same thing we wanted this restaurant to be successful and i believe that he got us to be that way i just took it to the next level of how we did things uh, like a little bit different. So, well, yeah, I, I think that's a good jumping off point. So, so what's, so what are some of those things? What, what have you done over the last couple of years now that you're the sole owner? So we have now changed some of our orderings, uh, how we, how we do ordering for our food, for our booze. Um, I've brought on more wait staff. I brought in some kitchen, some other kitchen staff. We grew our patio like, you know, we added a ton more tables. Uh, and then we also were able to grow our private dining business like exponentially. Um, I just think that when he was here with how he wanted to do our private dining room was just not the way that I kind of wanted it. And now since he's been gone, we've grown that business quite a bit and it's just more streamlined and I'm a lot more happy with it. I wanted it to be rented out a lot more. And with that, with him, I think that he had something a little bit different in mind, and which is okay. It's just with the way, the way that we moved was a, a little better. Well, sure. And I mean, you know, when you were on the show, you know, four years ago, that space wasn't even built out yet. No. So, you know, maybe maybe talk a little bit about kind of that space and how you use it, because I, I do think that's an underappreciated aspect of restaurant operations, how important private dining can be to sustain a business. Yes. Yeah, so when we first opened, we, we had the building. It just wasn't, we weren't able to obtain permits to get the build out, but we needed to start you know, making a little bit of cash. So we just opened up the restaurant and then into year one, at the end of year one is when we started construction on it. And it took about three months for us to build out. Uh, the whole point of it 
in the beginning was we wanted to make it kind of a cocktail bar, but it just never developed into that. And we found ourselves that people just wanted to sit in there and eat. And I was like, man, we got to, we've got to fill this room. You know, we, we've got to get this cocktail area out of here and start putting butts in seats because that's, what's going to pay the bills. So it developed into that, like slowly, but then it really boomed because people really wanted their own space. And, you know, we can serve up to 30 people seated and 50 people standing in that room. So it, it makes nice, especially right after the pandemic, when people wanted to be able to get their own space and be with other people that were, they felt comfortable with. But if they were with, if they were in the main dining room, they didn't get that feel. Whereas if you had the private, you could have that, you had your own space with your own people that you felt comfortable with. So it, it ended up being, you know, used quite a bit right after the pandemic and it's been booked a lot since. So it's nice having that extra space, but it's also nice having, you know, it for rollover during main service if we're not using it for private. Well, it also gives you a heck of a lot more patio space, which is another thing that, Yes. You know, all of a sudden, I mean, we've always liked dining on patios in the city, but, but, you know, even more so over the last year and a half. Next week, it's going to, patio weather's coming back right now. Yeah, it's on its, it's on its way. It's like, uh, we're, we're recording this on Monday by, by Wednesday, it'll be here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Which is nice. I mean, Houston is so, I, I don't care where you are sitting on a patio in Houston uh, in midsummer is miserable. I don't care if you have fans or if you're shaded. It is like a sauna. Like, I, I just can't do it. Yeah, no. And those misters that people put on patios just make it, it makes, even more. It makes humor. it worse. It's not it better. It, it makes it way worse. That's like that works like in uh, places with dry heat. Yes. Like because you get the cool breeze, but but in Houston, it's <laughs> just like standing in front of a hair dryer. It's not. It's not more effective. No, not at all. And I remember people were at, y'all should have fans. Y'all should, I was like, let's be honest, people. If I put fans out there, it's 105 degrees and you're sitting under shade. It's not going to make it much better. No. So talk to me about kind of the evolution of the menu, because, you know, you have this relationship with your family's farm. You, I mean, it, it's not, I wouldn't say that the food has changed, but I, I would say maybe it's a little more focused or, or that you have like a, a better idea of what a field and tides dish is. So uh, the, the focus with the farm, we get like, I would say a majority of our herbs are coming from Huckleberry farms. Now, when we get certain produce and we do put those in, but we still use a produce company here. We have to our with the volume that we push out of our business, the farm wouldn't be able to sustain uh, what the volume that we do. So, we're getting all that and now with the menu, you know, since my uh, partner left, we, I just kind of put more focus into all the dishes that we have. And I have a great team and I wouldn't be able to do it without them. And I just kind of teach them. And then they put their two cents into it as well. The line cooks that I have and the sous chef that I have. Um, so I kind of give them the idea and I go over a dish and then, then they help me, with the plate up and they add their little, their little touches to it as well. So it's, it's kind of fun now. I mean, it's definitely, uh, I look at, and I, and, and since the pandemic, I've been traveling more. So I've been trying to 
eat out more and trying to learn more dishes and learn uh, learn learn more about my our, our skill or our uh, or what I do in general. So, <laughs> well, good. Give me an give me an example of a dish that's on the menu now that was inspired by something you encountered while you were traveling. So we went to Charleston for my 40th birthday and we were at a restaurant in Charleston and it was called one six, seven raw. And it was me my wife and another couple. And there was this thing on the menu called the space potato. I was like, that sounds interesting. I was like, what is it? He's like, well, it's a Japanese sweet potato that we roast and then it's topped off with yuzu aioli and then salmon roe. And I was like, and we got it. And I, this thing, we probably had 15 dishes. This was the number one star that blew all. I was like, God, this thing, it was just amazing. Oh, so yeah, because it's like sweet and salty and creamy. And it, it's, it, it was just everything. And, I, and it was just, and it, but it was so simple, though, too. Everything that they did on it was just simply done, but in a way that was just so delicious. And so I was like, man, I really want something like that on mine. So we did the Togoroshi tater tot. And then we did the yuzu aioli. And then the salmon roe on top of that, we put that on top of the, the steak with some, uh, you know, marinated herbs. And that was like something that we took from there. And then the Sea Island pea spread was also something that got that I found while we were in Charleston as well. It was just something that I thought was really neat. We were at a restaurant. I was like, man, this is really good. We already have Sea Island peas. So let's, let's, do, let's do a dip like this. So just little travel, little things that we start to do. And I went to Tulum a couple of years ago, and we took a bunch of stuff that I, that I uh, got from there and added it on the menu. Not this menu. It was the menu previous to this. And it was a lot of vegetarian stuff that we were uh, learning about. So, so I mean, you're in the Heights, which I think of as kind of maybe vegetarian friendly. Yes. How did how was that? How did that go? It went very well, actually. It was it was. I, I believe that our guests really enjoyed a fresh take on some vegetarian cuisine. I I look at that also. If you go to a restaurant, and I'll go to a restaurant and I'll order a vegetarian dish just because I want to see what you can create because vegetarian dishes are not easy to, to do. And if you make something that's vegetarian and make it delicious, like I think that's a real task for a chef to do. Well, and I had Aaron Bludorn on a few weeks ago and he talked about like when he goes to a restaurant, you know, he wants kind of like one main item, like one kind of hearty meat dish but then like a whole bunch of vegetables all around it. I, yeah. I think that's kind of a fun way to eat. It is. I think that vegetables can, when they're done right and they're done and you have a fresh, a fresh product, they are delicious. I mean, vegetables in general are delicious, but I'm just saying like when they're done in a certain way and they, and chefs put their spin on them, it really is creative. And I think it's really neat to see. So like, what are a couple of the vegetable dishes on your menu that you're extra excited about? Uh, right now, I'm not thoroughly excited about my vegetarian dishes. They're great, but I'd like to work on some new ones. The The mushroom dish that we have is like, it's just like mushroom toast. And I kind of got that idea uh, by going over to Squabble. I like their mushroom toast a lot. 
but I did my own little spin on. I added tempura mushrooms and goat cheese and all this other stuff. And then we get our bread from cake and bacon. It's a sourdough bread, but tart they, they give us. And I, I, I like that, but I think that we could make it a little bit better. Uh, the Huckleberry Farm beets. I love this dish that we, we do. Uh, it's roasted beets, um, uh, roasted pistachios, pickled red onions, chives, olive oil, and goat cheese. And it's one of our biggest sellers by far, like salad-wise. Uh, and then our other vegetarian dish is the pea shoot salad. We're getting our micro pea shoots from, uh, my God, what's the name of the farm? It doesn't matter. Uh, we're doing that with some arugula, cured egg, our house-made buttermilk ranch, and uh, Benny seeds. So uh, that's another really good vegetarian dish that I really enjoy. So yeah, I mean, you you know, I was there fairly recently, and you tasted me through a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, I, I got to say that that fried chicken piccata is just everything that I like in a dish. I knew like when I put that down, I go, he's going to, he's going to go for this one. This is homey to him and it's simple. And I agree with that. I think that sometimes when a dish is simple and it's delicious, it's, it's the star of the show. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a sucker for kind of Italian flavors. And so, you know, and then fry it, right. Like instead of, instead of like sauteing it, like that takes it up a level. It, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm an easy touch, I guess, when it comes to stuff like that. And then, you know, my mother was in uh, Friday night and came yeah. back raving about scallops and risotto. There we go. I'm glad that she enjoyed that. I yeah. wish I would have known she was coming in. Well, you know, I told her to introduce herself and, and actually to be like, just tell them that you're, you're friends with our mutual friend, Lauren. Oh. And when they're like, well, how do you know Lauren? Say, oh, I'm Eric Sandler's mother. I, I thought that would have been really funny, but she she did not do that. She was she was That's with okay. friends and didn't want to didn't want to identify herself. That's okay. It's all right. Uh, let me just ask you about kind of your neighborhood more generally, uh, because even from 2017 to now, I mean the Heights has absolutely exploded. I mean you you mentioned Wobble, you know, just one of like literally over dozens of restaurants that have opened up and. And so many more coming, as we sort of talked about at the top of the show. So, so what's it been like for you with increased competition or, or maybe like finding your footing in the neighborhood? You know, I don't really mind it. I think that everybody should have a stake, stake their claim. And I think that it's great for the Heights. It is getting a little saturated or is oversaturated, but I like all the restaurants that are coming in. Uh, I'm like one of my favorite restaurants is down the street. La Lucha. I mean, I eat there three or four times a month, uh, but I'm really excited for the new people coming in like Loro and Trattoria, Sofia and Chivas. I, I'm kind of excited to see what, what they're going to bring to uh, the Caliente space, but you know, I don't look at it as competition. I think that everybody uh, has their own thing. And I think it's great for the Heights. I think it's great for the people that live here that they have so many great choices and you just kind of have to, you have to stay on top of what you do. I, I think that's really it. That I give them good food, good service and good drinks, especially good drinks. Just fill, just keep their glass filled. 
that's that's the, I think that's really the most important thing. And if you just communicate with people, like if something's taking a long taking a long time, you've got to be you've got to be there and explain to them. Like every, I think the point of communication really keeps the the guest happy. Well, I, I mean, my observation about sort of what happens in the Heights is you have maybe three to six months to sort of introduce yourself. And if it goes well, you could be in business for 10 years because the neighborhood will always support you. And if it doesn't go well, you'll be gone in a year because they, they're, they're out. Yeah. There's I mean, no second I, chances. I, I could see that, you know, there, there's, there's just so many, you know, uh, and it, it, it's, it's going to keep growing. I think there's definitely four, four, four lots for sale for businesses within a quarter mile distance of my place. So, and everybody wants to be a restaurateur right now. Yeah. I, I don't quite understand that impulse because I feel like it's like basically the hardest business in the world to get into. There's no glitz or glamor. I mean, you have to literally like, it's not a sprint either. It's a marathon. There'll be some months where you don't make money and then some years where you don't make money. And then some months where you're like, Oh, I, I made a profit. I can actually pay myself. No, it's, it's, it's cutthroat. Well, and, and I mean, you worked at great restaurants for a long time, right? You, you worked at Liberty Kitchen, you worked at Mark's. I mean, you worked uh, for Clark Cooper, I think, right? At Ibiza. I did. I worked for Ibiza and Catalan. So, I mean, you, you know, the business very well, obviously from all those experiences, what's been the biggest surprise for you as an owner that you maybe didn't anticipate when you were an employee? Man, that's a good question. Uh, the biggest surprise is you are responsible now for so many people's lives, honestly. And you don't really get that until like, you know, you're starting, you're writing checks, you're writing your payroll checks, you're doing all this. You got to make sure that you have all this money because these people are depending on you. And you don't realize that until you start doing that. And you're just like, God, I'm, I'm responsible for all these people. Not, and that includes yourself. Um, there's also, I also like the aspect of being able to do what I want and be creative on how I want, not having to go to four or five people and get that permission. I can just do it. You know? Right. You know, there was one other place where we could, I, I could do that. Uh, Mark, when I worked for Marks, he would let us order whatever we wanted as long as we used it. He was like, look, you can order what you want. He's like, but the special's got to come through me. He's like, and it better get used and we better make money with it. That was his rule. So you'd, you'd order something and if he didn't like it, you'd have to figure out what you were going <laughs> to do, what you were going to do with that protein because it had to get sold. So, uh, but I really like that aspect of, being able to be creative and do what I want to do. And you kind of, you either win or you lose. Like if you run something as a special and you sell out within, you know, an hour, it's, it can, it, it's a potential menu item, but sometimes it doesn't work out like that. Uh, you know, some of the specials that we've run in the past work really well as a special, but when they come on the menu, it just doesn't translate all that well. And like people just, they don't, they look past it because it may be too expensive for them as a menu item or especially like, Oh, it's not, it's not going to come back. So we got to get it now. So like, what's an example of that? Like a big steak or like a lobster or something or. 
Uh, well, we did a chicken fried uh, short rib with uh, it was a surf and turf dish that we did that had a, a seared scallop, truffle mashed potatoes, asparagus, demi, and like a Bernays sauce. And it sold extremely well as a special, but then as a menu item, I mean, it was our, it was our bottom seller, like easily. And it was, it was I was just like, yeah. Cause it's like a 55 or $60 dish. Right. And just, it was, I think it was a, it was a $52 entree. Yeah. And when you're looking at that compared to, you know, everything else is like in the high twenties or low thirties. Well, yeah, there was a skirt steak that we had on the menu that had a lobster potato and something and something else. And it was like $32. So they were like, we can get the steak and the lobster for this, but you know, and it made, you know, it was just like, it was unfortunate, but we wanted to see it if it would work. So maybe what are, what are some of your plans for the future? I mean, how would you like to see, I mean, you're, you're coming up on five years. That's always a big kind of inflection point for restaurants. February, February 13th will be our five year anniversary. Uh, I don't know, man. Like I just, I'm really enjoying the people that come in. I I just enjoy what we're doing. Like uh, I think that we take care of our guests. I think the Heights community is, obviously accepted us. Uh, I just want us to keep doing what we're doing. And we're, I mean, we're going to go through another menu change here in the next couple months. So we'll see where that takes us. Um, I just, I want to be here for the foreseeable future is what I'd like. And, yeah. you know, I don't know if I, I definitely don't think we'll open up another field and tides. If I was going to do another venture, it would be something completely different. And, and I don't, I, I wouldn't stay in the Heights. Well, I mean, you're a, you're a Memorial kid, right? A, a spring branch I guy. I mean, that, that are, that whole part of town is blowing up these days. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you got the money to, to buy the property. Yeah. Right now that's that, that, that would be my, my long-term goal is to have some property is what I'd like. I mean, I think that's every operator's dream, right? Is not to be beholden to a landlord. Exactly. I mean, look at there, there's a, there's a reason why they made a movie called the founder. You know, Ray Kroc wasn't wasn't stupid. So McDonald's owns all their all their spaces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do do you have a sense of what that new concept might be? Maybe something. I mean, you're you're kind of known for your fried chicken. That you know. Uh, you know, I'd like to be able to do something. Uh, you know, I really like what what uh, Gatlin's getting ready to do. The feathers and uh, yeah, fish. fins and feathers, fins and feathers. I, I like that idea. I thought that was really, and I was like, can't do that now. But uh, I think that he's gonna, they're gonna, him and Michelle are gonna kill it with that concept. Oh yeah, so. yeah. No, I mean, if you've ever had the catfish special that they do on the first weekend of every month, I mean, it's so delicious. I mean, and she's great. really, she's a really talented cook. Yeah, Greg is, I like Greg. He's a, he's a really, really cool guy. I like, and I like his food a lot. So, um, I, you know, I don't know. I, it's just something that there's always ideas up here. It's whether or not they can translate and the public will accept them. So it has to be something that's, I definitely will. If the next thing that I do would probably be a lot smaller than the field and tides, I want something that's, you know, 
maybe 45, 50 seats max. So I, I think that smaller footprints are, are, you can do a better quality restaurant with something smaller. And it's more expensive at that point. Oh yeah. So you, so you'd go maybe more high end instead of more casual. I would do definitely do more high end and it would, I'd, I'd kind of want to do a dinner only place and a, uh, uh, Tuesday to Saturday only no Sundays, no Mondays. You want that. You, I, I mean, that's, that's basically what the Nancy's hustle schedule, right? Like, uh, except they're open, they're open Wednesday through Sunday, but that two days off a week, just for, for quality of life, that seems to be such that's a great quality thing. of life. And, and I, I think that everybody's happy at that point. All your staff is happy. So that's, that's what I know for right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, since you've mentioned that you've been, you've been eating out more, what, uh, you, you mentioned the Lucha, you mentioned squabble, uh, where else have you been eating recently? What's, what's impressed you? I mean, La Lucha always impresses me every single time I go there, but, um, where did I go this past weekend? I went to, uh, Mendocino farms on Sunday and I, I'd never been there. I mean, I, I just don't venture out to that side of town. I thought it was really, really good. I went to gratify the second day they were open. I think Charles and Grant did a really good job with the build out. Although it does remind me of a uh, uh, Brasserie 19, but it's just in the village. You know, what's funny is I asked Grant about that specifically. And he was like, no, no, it's, that's a, that's a Brasserie concept. This is a bistro. I'm like, but you, it's still got the oyster bar, like it's still it's almost, like, the exact, it's almost the exact same thing. Yeah, I mean it's it's a huge hit. I mean it's yes, I think bad, it, crushing it. I thought it was delicious. Uh, God, where else did I eat? I ate at Elliot's table the other day. I thought it was it was pretty good. I I just got a burger, but it was it was very good. Um, yeah, I, I like crazy. I like that those. It's like like I. I've talked about this before, maybe with other restaurants, but it feels like they're like the crew of a pirate ship. Exactly. Like they're like all for one and one for all kind of a, you know, exactly. and it's so small. It is. I mean, it's, it's tiny, but he, he he had a full house when I walked in at eight o'clock on a uh, Friday night. So I left work early and I just went to go grab a burger. So he was doing well. Um, where else have I eaten lately? It was very, very good. I ate at Fijis the other day uh, by my house. It was very good. Patrick and uh, Aaron are doing well over there. I think they've been accepted into Spring Branch area. So, yeah, I, I it's a really smart evolution of what like a barbecue restaurant can be, right? Because it doesn't just have to be like a three meat plate. I still think that they should serve alcohol at that place. Well, they have blended beer, right? They don't have full full bar. Yeah. So that that's just my take. Um but then they have you know, they have shoot the moon that's right down the street. Uh I ate there the other day as well. His pizza was pretty good. I think his con he's got something with that concept. Um once he pushes out some of the kinks with the uh self-serve, there was yeah. just a couple of machines down. So but you know there's always problems within your first five, six months that you open. So it doesn't really matter. Like you, 
got to work through. Yeah, you just got to keep persevering. Um, well, I'll, I'll say that kind of brings me to the end of my questions. Is there something you want to discuss that I haven't asked you about? No, man. Um, you know, I love the article that you wrote the other day, the 40 restaurants that are opening. I think that Houston is just booming with, you know, new openings. I think it's amazing, uh, especially right after a pandemic that we're going to, I think that this city is turning around and the diner is very well educated now. Um, and partially because of your writing. They're, they're, well, thank you. You're getting everybody out there and letting everybody know what's opening up. So. Well, and I think the other thing is, you know, from a, from an out of towners perspective, you know, Texas never shut down or, I mean, yeah. I mean, or shut down for a lot less time than California, New York did. And once we reopened for dining, we stayed reopened. So, you know, whatever the future holds, you know, you can debate the the merits of that or whatever, but you know, that, that political environment is not likely to change anytime soon. So, you know, you can, when, you know, once you navigate the morass of permitting and, and all that stuff, once you get open, you probably be allowed to stay open. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well right, man. You know, I, I got nothing else really. All right. So. Well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Travis Lennig, what is your favorite cookbook? Favorite cookbook, South by Sean Brock. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh, man. <laughs> Probably George Strait. What is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Uh, Craig Biggio. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oh, gosh. Fast food. Chick-fil-A by far. And then finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go-to toppings? Uh, I'm a cheese guy. And if I don't, if I don't get cheese, then it's a uh, hamburger and pepperoni. Awesome. All right. Give us the, the website and the social media and all that for Field and Tides. Uh, so Field and Tides uh we are located at 705 east 11th street uh website is fieldandtides.com and is that it i think that's it yeah awesome travis thank you very much thank you eric i appreciate it man yeah you're welcome all right you follow me on instagram at eric sandler keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest houston bar and restaurant news thanks so much for listening i'll be back next week